The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I need to talk to you about mybookie.ag. Great place to put your online sports wagers. They're coming out with the MLB props for the 2019 seasons, the win totals, division winners, the works. They do some of the best props. They go deep. Right now you can bet on uh, politics. You can buy the upcoming Oscars. They have all the weekly sports stuff. So, so much more. You can already bet on Zion Williamson to win the 2020 NBA Rookie of the Year. There's a ton going on in my bookie. And if you want to go try it out, you want to be a first-time depositor, use promo code BENCHED. When you use promo code BENCHED for your first deposit, you get up to a 50% deposit bonus up to $1,000. So if you put $100 bucks in, you get $50 free. $500 bucks in, a free $250, all the way up to $1,000. So go to mybookie.ag, promo code BENCHED for a 50% deposit bonus. Also, on today's episode, episode 146, good, good friend Matt Modica comes back on the show. We talk fantasy baseball pitchers, a lot of NFBC talk. It, it, it was awesome. Great interview, as always, with my good buddy Matt. And go check out his work over at The Athletic. They do great fantasy sports work. I don't get anything out of this. I'm just plugging it because, as I mentioned on the show, I love what they're doing there, and I really want to support my buddy Matt here. He does a great job. So go check out The Athletic. Go to his Twitter feed at CTM Baseball. There's a link to click on. It helps him out. So go do all that. But most importantly, welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 146, with Matt Modica of The Athletic Fantasy Sports. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 146. Got a special guest, a recurring guest, a good friend of the podcast, good friend of mine. You find him on Twitter at CTM Baseball, Matt Modica. How are we doing, man? Uh, we're doing great today. Uh, you know, just getting ready for, uh, you know, the beautiful thing that baseball is. Yes, it is a beautiful thing. And, you know, every time now that pitchers and catchers are reporting and hitters are showing up and getting to see all those videos, it's always a good thing. And overreactions on Twitter, it's, 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 it's a time, time one like any other about that. But before we get into the podcast notes, 
you have been a busy man lately. Why don't you let everybody know what you got going on? I recently signed on with the Athletic Fantasy and uh, contributed some baseball stuff there. Did the starting pitcher preview, the closing, uh, the closers, and third base preview. And uh, right now, before the season starts, I'll be doing an ADP series, which uh, the first one dropped today. And when the season starts, every Sunday, you'll get to see uh, two start pitchers and my starting pitcher index, uh, you know, the landscape of uh, pitching. Yeah, I absolutely love it because, A, I got to know you as as a big-time pitcher kind of guru. You had your CTM baseball site and all that good stuff. But watching you come out with stuff, and even today I was just kind of having coffee looking at Twitter, and I see – your article pop up about uh, the ADP stuff. And that's some really interesting stuff to dig into. And um, I, I highly recommend people go check out The Athletic. I promoted it on my other podcast just because before they even did fantasy, that their overall work is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And now your fantasy aspect into it, and it's not even that expensive for the website. It's super cheap for all the information you guys get fantasy-wise, real-life-wise. It's worth every penny in my sense. So I highly recommend people go check it out, and it supports good buddies like Matt Modica. So go, go get at it. Yeah, it's it's one stop shopping for everything, pretty much. Yeah, it has like literally yesterday I was on the couch and I just opened up the app, and I think I read like seven articles because I'm like, okay, I need to catch up on some of this, and then there's so many more I want to get into. It's just great, and yeah, go check it out, everybody. Really, really good stuff there. Um, most of this podcast is going to be starting pitcher focused because Matt's the guru at this, like I said. But we got to talk about some recent news. It was sad last mm-hmm. podcast. I had no recent news to talk about because that's where we're at these days. But uh, we do have one signing. Mike Moustakis returns to the Milwaukee Brewers, a one-year $10 million deal. It's an interesting note because we saw when they traded for him last year, Travis Shaw went to second base. First off, how do you think Moustakis coming back to Milwaukee fits for a fantasy perspective? I mean, for fantasy, I think it's the perfect landing spot. You know, that park, it's just a good hitting park altogether, but especially for left-handed power. Uh, we know his defense, and, you know, we're not worried about the Brewers' offense. We're worried about the pitching, and, you know, you add that glove in there. What effect it has with Travis Shore moving to second base and his ability to play that defensively, I mean, as long as Travis Shaw doesn't face a left-hander, I mean, offensively, he's pretty damn good. Yeah, and that that's the interesting part when it comes to this is I thought I thought all that, that Travis Shaw back to second, now we're going to lose, you know, everyone's excited because he has dual eligibility this year. He'll probably won't have third-base eligibility the following year. But there's already one report out today, and I kind of already made the joke that we need to take everything with a grain of salt in uh, spring training, and there's certain things to look at and certain not to. But now, like, the first report out already is they're talking about moving Moustakis to second and keeping Shaw at third. So I have no idea what they're doing. But either way, they're both going to be on the field. The question I have for you, and it's uh, kind of a prospect-laden question, many were looking forward to, to Keston Tyera coming up this year with his hit tool. Now this kind of blocks him from coming up. Is there even a reason to draft him super late in drafts right now? No, I don't think right now he's somebody that, you know, you keep on your watch list if, say, an injury occurs and he's tearing it up down there, not to see him at the AFL. Uh, you know, we know the hype as far as, you say, like you said, the hit tool. I don't know how the power plays with him overall, but he's still young. And, you know, everything that I've seen and I've heard, you know, I'm no po- prospect guru, but uh, he seems like somebody that's going to be really good. I think the one thing that, you know, maybe late in drafts and deeper leagues, the one I look, I've been a sucker for this guy every year, was Corey Spangenberg. Yeah. Maybe had, you know, some, you know, late value and stuff like that. But 
that seems to have gone by the wayside. <laughs> yeah, no, that was one like we heard when this whole started coming out. The first roster resource came out like, oh, Spangenberg is going to be playing every day for the for the Brew Corps, at least most of the time. And everyone's got excited about that because we remember what he kind of did for the Padres there. And that's definitely going. And even guys like um, uh, I'm totally blanking now all of a sudden, their multi-eligibility uh, infielder, I don't know why I'm blanking on this. He was going to be a big-time play for them as well. So they're all kind of getting – Oh, uh, what's his name? Hernan Perez? Yes, Hernan Perez. I don't know why I blanked on that. He's yeah, Hernan Perez seems to get like, hot for a couple of weeks here and there yep. every couple of times a season and, and contributes. Yeah, he would have been an interesting one. That's pretty much gone. Well, that wraps up our news for the day. Um, I, I, I'm going to laugh because it never fails. Someone's going to sign right after we finish recording. It's just a matter of time. But uh, I'll get to that next episode. Let's talk starting pitchers. And what we're going to go here is it's the top 25 NFBC draft champions ADP since February 1st. Because one thing, and I made this before I saw Modica's um, article today, a lot of things change if you kind of navigate the NFBC ADP from month to month or different dates. It's a lot of fun. And um, that's one thing that really is intriguing with your article. And even last my last episode, I did some closer stuff. There were guys leapfrogging other guys just in between January till now, from February till now. When you look at starting pitchers, there are a couple of interesting ones that stand out. But let's start with the big guys, plain and simple. You got Scherzer, you got Sale, you have DeGrom. Kind of give me your thoughts on those three, and then how do you break that down? Because I've seen them go in all different orders so far this season. Well, I mean, to me, the best pitcher in baseball is Chris Sale when fully healthy. I mean, we've seen the dominance uh, he's been able to do and do it in the American League, now in the American League East. But unfortunately, you know, last season with the shoulder and the decreased velocity in the in the playoffs, he was still, you know, able to pitch in the World Series. All signs or all indications I've gotten is there's no restrictions and all that. But, you know, I need to see him on a mound. At least like uh, when we saw Jacob DeGrom a couple of years ago, you know, people were worried about him. But he was going in the fifth round, which I was taking, you know, around around there. It was, you know, it's a lot different, the first or the fifth. And, you know, if I see him, in, you know, if I see him, everything checks out good. The velocity is uh, 100%. There's no uh, signs of uh, soreness with the shoulder. Then, you know, where he's going right now has been a bargain. Those people will reap that benefit for drafting early, and he's going to shoot up draft boards. But, I mean, all in all, with this big three, in that top half of the first round, which is where I want to live, and I'll just sidetrack for a quick second. I want to live there because it's setting up my second and third round. Not that you can't do well on the turn and all that, but especially for this year, there's 14 pitches with an ADP under 40. And I, I want to be involved in, you know, Kershaw's one of them, and I'm just scared to death. And, you know, last, pre, last spring training, he pitched 21 innings, zero ERA, 23 to four. I brought back in late. I stayed away. I just can't do it again this year. I, I love him. He's, you know, he Hall of Famer. He's been the best thing to watch, you know, these past few years. Sure, he's right up there with him, though. So, look, Max is – you know, he's 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 the gold standard in the fact that you know you're signing up for at least 200 innings. And even if he regresses a bit, it's 250 strikeouts. You know, four straight seasons, under three RA, under one whip. Uh, so even with some regression, you know, you want to ding him. You know, he's got to give something back at some point. It's, you know, it's not going to be steep at all. But in that first half of the first round, I am looking at the hitter that can either, you know, get me – 
you know, 25, 20 with a 300 plus average or somebody like a J.D. Martinez or an Arenado, you know, high 30s, low 40s and 100 runs, 100 RBIs. So I'd rather go that route. And by being in the first half, if I have KDS preference and I get that in the second and third rounds, I can either fortify that hitting. I can take an ace or I have the opportunity to get double aces, which I did today in the Tout Wars draft. I mentioned that on Sirius yesterday. And it was, especially in that format that I'm doing today, which is a draft and hold, you can't do in-season pickups. So for that, it's more imperative you get those 200 inning guys. So I just think about, it's all about setting up a plan. Uh, I love the fact that we're seeing industry people drafting pitchers in the first round now on a regular basis. I know that was kind of something that was taboo a few years ago. We started seeing some of them doing it, and now it's becoming a regular thing. So I think that's a, I think that's a really good uh, move forward. Yeah, no, it, it is something that used to be kind of you were an, an anarchist if you took one early. <laughs> like you were shunned. You had to wear the scarlet letter around if you took one early. And now it's, you know, it, you said everyone's doing it. Uh, I'm not saying it's all analysts that are drafting early right now, but a lot of a lot of the kind of smarter fantasy players or not just recreational fantasy players are the ones that we're taking this ADP from in the NFBC uh, draft champion stuff. They're, they're experienced guys. And when they're taking three guys in the top 15, basically the first round, that's pretty outstanding. You have eight guys going in the, in the first two rounds. So that, that tells you a lot of going on there. And what you just mentioned about, you know, the top 40 pitchers and all that, that's straight out of your article. There's great little tidbits on how many pitch 200 innings, how many had 200 strikeouts, so on and so forth. So there's a ton of, ton of ways to break it down and you are one of the best at the NFC. I had Rob Silver on a couple episodes ago. You play with Rob Silver, you know, we all know Vlad Settler. You got to reach of- Rob Silver's level yet. I got to give him props. He's got, he's taken down an overall. He's he's won uh he's won a diamond or maybe I'm even cheating him, but I, I think he's got a diamond in him. <laughs> so he knows his stuff, that's for sure. He knows his <laughs> stuff. Like you three are kind of the ones I look to cuz I see most of your stuff. I'm starting to find more and more out there. There's a big group of you guys that are NFC savvy and um I like how you mentioned the strategy there. You mentioned the draft and holds that you're in right now. You mentioned wanting to get those locked in innings. What kind of other strategies do you look at for draft and holds? Because for many kind of just casual players, they're starting to dip their toes in like best ball slash mm-hmm. draft and hold ideas. But there's really not a lot out there that kind of helps them change their mind. Because it is a different game plan compared to a regular season. No, how do you approach it, that? It definitely is. And – I, the the crucial thing I've learned, I've been doing the draft champions for some time now. It's been a profitable endeavor. And innings pitched and at-bats are crucial. And even when you get into that, you know, second part of the draft after the first 10 rounds or, you know, there's going to be some guys you don't really like or don't want to draft, but they get the innings or they get the at-bats year after year. And, you know, those guys become so valuable to you and, you know, normally you don't have to take them in other formats, maybe because you can get that weekly pickup and you can stream. But a guy that I mentioned yesterday, too, a guy like Jake Arrieta, I really don't like him. Nobody wants Jake Arrieta. Once upon a time, a couple of years ago, he was, you know, he was Jake Arrieta that, you know, we, we were all in on. But now we're all running away from him. I, I can't believe I think he had like a 7.8 swinging strike percentage. I don't even know if that's, so if that's, if that's real. So and that's something I think, you know, you have to look at. You have to have guys. I mean, you have to draft pitching. You have to have at least 20 pitchers. That's usually the range, you know, at least 20, maybe to 22. 
But, you know, hitters that, you know, are going to get at-bats. And you, you're never going to believe how over the course of a season, how valuable guys are to you in this format that maybe, you know, would be on your bench and other. Even in deep leagues, you wouldn't necessarily need to have them as much. But in, in this format, they, they really do all uh, – they really do mean a lot. And like I said, as I mentioned with, with the first half of the first round, if I was picking late in the second round, I just want to touch on that. Like a DeGrom or a Sale, I don't know how long a Sale's going to live there. Because once we see him healthy, he's going to move up. And I'm totally fine with DeGrom. I think he might be might be the safest. And that's not being a Met homer. You know, you see the hat. Uh, it's, it's not being a homer. Uh, you know, his home ballpark, it's everything. It's like Dodger pitchers. I always want to be involved with Dodger pitchers. Uh, you know, that mound and all that stuff, it's the National League. So DeGrom's 30 years old. He's going to be 31, but he's a young. He's only got 900 innings on that arm. He didn't come up until he was 26. You know, a guy like Felix Hernandez was pitching when he was 19. And, you know, he's, uh, what, a year older than DeGrom or so, but he's got over 2,000 innings on his arm. So, you know, it's a different thing. So, I mean, if you're picking in that, Set late first round. I do think you need to get a pitcher. We saw uh, James Anderson pull up Garrett Cole today, mm-hmm. and I thought I thought he executed that perfectly. The Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole was. I, I think you want that base. You need somebody that can get you those two hundred innings, close to it at least, and over two hundred strikeouts. Because you know, in any deep competitive league, you're going to need something like 450 strike, uh, 1,450 strikeouts. And there's a lot of upside arms, but you're, you're, you're gambling. You need a couple of blue chips as your foundation for your portfolio. No, I like that. And, you know, there's an article on Fangrass recently by Ariel Cohen that showed, um, and, and again, your article dictates kind of where the dominant pitchers are and, and where the others are. Yeah, that, that top upper echelon of, say, 10 to 20 pitchers, and there's that gap in the middle. Paul Spore calls the blob, and then there's the bottom part. And there's there's been like research done at that middle tier there. If you're focusing your starters and your aces there, you're in trouble. Like you get your most return from the top and the bottom. That middle part usually has the most area for loss, is what it looks like. Yeah, no, it's it looks it's tough. And these guys, these guys, I really like. I think problem with a lot of people is expectations. And I tweeted something out uh, about Jamison Tyon the other day. Guy who I, I like is inside my top 20. I said, if he pitched to a 360 ERA this year with 200 innings and I'd say 190 strikeouts, would that be a disappointment? And I was very happy to see that people said no, like 80%. Mm-hmm. Because he pitched to a 320 ERA last year. And a lot of people would say, well, he just, you know, his ERA regressed to 360. That's good. And, that's, and if he's your number two and he's giving you that, the average ERA, you look at it, you know, the last few years. Except for, um, I think, 2015, it's been over four. So you're looking at 439 or, you know, 419. So you have to put everything in uh, perspective. You just mentioned a guy like Tyon, and we'll get back to the list here in a minute, but I'm having more fun with this conversation. Um, so there's the Tyons, the Glass Nows. You know, last year, Luis Castillo, you and I both liked him a lot. Um, there's the Helium guys, the guys that everyone's talking about. How do you – and maybe your ADP report can will showcase that week to week. How do you keep from overpaying for these guys? What do you do to focus on not doing that? Well, see, it's it's all going to depend on how you start your draft, especially in a fifteen team. One thing you know, I learned years ago from the Hall of Famer Steve Japinka, who's one of the best players, you know, and he's a master at Fab. That's probably my weak point. 
I'm it. spending I'm, I'm my money too. Yeah. Like, like I'm a drunk, you know, sailor, whatever you want to call. It. <laughs> but you know, uh, I mean, what you what you need to do is have a plan. You're going to be weak at a certain position. You, it's just it's, not, it's just not possible to be hitting everything. And uh, what would happen here? You're good. I'm good. Okay, I thought yeah. I lost you for a second. Uh, and what, what I try and do is have a game plan. I had one today. And if look, sometimes there's going to be hitting value that just falls to you that you cannot pass up. And if that's the case, you're going to have to be more aggressive with the pitching. And even if you got to live in the middle rounds, because you can't just keep saying, I'm going to just get all the guys later on, all these upside arms. I mean, I think Jose Barrios is going to take that next step. I think he did a lot of things that checked off a lot of boxes for me last year, pitched the 200 innings, uh, the XFIP and the ERA lined up. Those home road splits are stark. But this is a guy, we know he has the stuff. I mean, experience is is a wonderful thing for young players. And, you know, uh, it's it's guys like that. Now, say, I get a, say, if, say if I didn't get pitching the first three rounds and I'm living with, like, Jose Barrios as my number one, I'm pounding pitching for the next couple of rounds. I'm not waiting because there's a good chance one of those guys is going to bust on me. It's just not going to happen. And hopefully two out of the three that I get hit. And look, that's going to happen with hitters. And last year on the turn, I, I had a, a I had a league where I had uh, Chris Bryant and Carlos Correa. I thought that was the greatest thing. That was probably my worst team I had all year. Yeah. So, look, there are going to be busts and stuff. And then when you move away from those blue chips, you have to have you have to have quantity. So, you know, because you're not going to hit on everyone. I don't care how good you are. Not everybody's going to hit. All right. You mentioned guys like Carlos Correa and Chris Bryant, guys that we're trying to buy back on this year that, you know, are, we're getting technically value compared to where they were last year in last year's drafts. Um, you know, Kershaw's one where both you and I just kind of agree I'm staying away from. But, you know, deeper down in the drafts, maybe Jake Arrieta is one. Maybe there's a bunch of other guys. Um, some want the Cole Hamels of the world, per se, and others. How do you look into those? How do you kind of convince yourself, okay, it's time to buy back in on these guys? Well, one of the things, if, if I have that foundation and say I say I, I doubled up on aces at the 2-3 turn or in that area, then I'm going to love to live in – there's an exciting around like 150, a little before, a little after, where you have the Shane Beavers, the Nick Pavettas, the Tyler Glassnows, uh, Andrew Heaney's Erod. I've been pulling Joe Musgrove up uh, all draft season. There's just too much to like. I know he's a health risk. So now those guys, I want to get at least one if, if I'm lucky enough to get two. And then, you know, I have a foundation where if one of these guys pops, I'm going to get really profitable here. And uh, so there's that. A guy like Lester, mm-hmm. look, everything's pointing the wrong way. He's yep. He's been a workhorse. He gives you the innings. I think the innings will continue to be there. How effective, I'm really not sure. But he continues to fall. And at some point, you know, you take Lester and you say, you know what, I have I have a guy that's going to provide me innings. And in a deep league, that's going to be valuable. Even a Jake Arrieta. You know, as he continues to fall, uh, then he, at some point you got to say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to draft him. Every player should have a price on your board. You should never write anybody off because they screwed you over last year or, you know, you really don't like the metrics. Yeah, so you don't like the metrics, but at a certain price, it's worth the gamble. 
No, I like that a lot. All right, so wrapping up the big three here, do you have it Sale, Scherzer, DeGrom? That's how you look at them? No, actually, I have it Scherzer, uh, DeGrom, and Sale currently. Like I said, I'm going to revise this in uh, March when we get to see them pitch a little here and stuff like that. But like I said, Sale's number three only because of how what happened last season. And I, I can't get that out of my mind. I, I, I just need to see him. Uh, I think DeGrom – could easily be the top pitcher of the board next year. And I just can't justify telling anyone not to take uh, Max Scherzer right now. His dominance in the National League East and what he's done has been uh, has been Kershaw-esque in, in his last five years. You know? Okay. So. I like it. Let's dig, dig into the uh, rest of the top ten here. It's kind of a group that you can make arguments for anybody in this realm as, mm-hmm. as, your, as your ace. Like I really – I would not care which one you took. Uh, Verlander's going first off the board here. Some even consider him that guy that's kind of a 1A tier guy. Like he's real close to being there. They got Kluber, Nola, who we're both big on. Garrett Cole, you mentioned James Anderson jumping on him. Great stuff there. Blake Snell, Severino, and Trevor Bauer. Since I did this list last night, Severino has passed over Bauer already. That's how quickly <laughs> this changes, but not by many um, draft slots, obviously. When you're looking at this area here, you can get some specific on anybody you want. But how do you kind of break down this group of guys, a bigger group than, than normal? Look, there's going to be some people that love the veterans that have continually done it. And, you know, I, I can't argue with anybody that has Verlander four. For me, it's going to be Aaron Nola. And my reasoning is this. I think he's extremely safe. He dominates at Citizen Bank Ballpark. And look at the stats the last couple of seasons. He is dominant there. Now, what I really like about Nola is you saw last season – the progress that he made, the swinging strike percentage really went up. Uh, his K percentage uh, increased later on in the season. This is a pitcher that was known for getting cold strikes. He's incorporated the swing and miss in his game. Uh, he got the 200 innings. I think there's everything we could want and more from him. So for me, he's my number four. I'm not going to argue, like you said. It's that close. I think I put Verlander seven. Garrett Cole's my number five. I was super high on Cole last year. Uh, I went all in on that. I'm going back in again. I I think we saw what happened last year. I think it could actually get even better this year. And I've gone back and forth between Cole and Snell. And the reason Snell is six and he's up so high, I know it's a small sample when he came back, but you do need to check out what he did with his repertoire. He changed his pitch mix, number one. I mean, he was just – outright dominant, and I think he has the best shot of being the next Clayton Kershaw. Nice. Hopefully no back problems there. Um, <laughs> yeah, or at least not for another few seasons. Exactly. Um, yeah, it, it's just an interesting group, and it, it's it's interesting looking at your ADP risers and fallers. It seems like we'll get to some more of them. The Indians, people are all of a sudden jumping on their start big three, and they're jumping on the Astros' big arms. And everybody else is kind of staying put or falling back a little bit, but those two teams seem like they're really elevating forward. You know, a guy like Corey Kluber, you got Kluber, you got Bauer. We'll put Carrasco in there right now. The big three in Cleveland, Carrasco's 11th off the board, so just behind Bauer. Um, they're all really good in their own ways. Carrasco, every time I look at his age, shocks me that he's really that old um, compared <laughs> to what I feel like he should be like in his at 27, and he's not. Um, Trevor Bauer, people are saying, is the ace of those three, but Kluber's still getting 10 picks on Bauer. How do you look at those three? Uh, I mean, I still like Kluber for this year. And I've had him ahead of Carrasco, but I think uh, I might flip them because I, I just think with Carrasco 
has done the last couple of seasons. I mean, if you look at his stats and Luis Severino from the advanced metrics, they're like identical. Ground ball percentage, XFIP, uh, swing and strike, uh, I mean, shoot strike percentage, uh, walk percentage. And I, I just think you're getting a guy in a terrible division on a good team. He's got a good closer. So is everything I like about him. Trevor Bauer up until last season, uh, you know, couldn't figure it out. It finally came to fruition. The one thing that was missing was he couldn't get guys to chase. And last year, if you look at it, that's where that was a major, major boom to him. He really got that chase rate up, got guys to, you know, swing and miss. So everything, you know, everybody's growth is different. Uh, I believe Bauer is going to be a very good pitcher, even if he regresses over a run and has a 340 ERA. I mean, if, if he didn't get hurt last year, he probably wins the AL Cy Young. I mean, because he'd probably have, he'd have more innings than Snell. He'd have just over a two ERA, the strikeouts. So that would have been interesting. So, I mean, it's it's tough. That, like we said, that four to 13 range, mm-hmm. you got, I mean, Noah Syndergaard had a down year, and I still think he could be one of the top five pitchers in baseball this year. So you got guys like that. You got people shying away from Bueller. Uh, because of the innings limit, but I mean the talent is there. I don't. I think he's getting at least 170 innings, yeah. and those are going to be an awesome 170 innings. It's at his home park in Chavez Ravine. I give every Dodger pitcher that's not injured or have have a back problem. Uh, I give them a bump. I, I just do. And this kid looks like the real deal. And one of the most impressive starts he had last season was in the playoffs when Acuna hit the grand slam off him. He didn't wilt after that. I mean, he was down whatever four nothing. He gave his team another four plus innings or so, battled, and you know that's that's a competitor. This, this kid pitched his last season knowing he was going to get Tommy John at Vanderbilt. So, <laughs> yeah, no, Bueller is a special case, and you know it goes Carrasco, Bueller, Syndergaard, Kershaw, kind of wrapping out that top fourteen there. And you mentioned top thirteen, leaving Kershaw out for obvious reasons. Well, can I say one thing quick about Kershaw? Look, yeah. I could be dead wrong on him. And if I'm wrong, he's going to be one of the best bargains we've ever had. Yes. As for, this guy was the number fifth, five pick last year. Yeah. So. No, and I'm with you. Like, I, I can't do it. I was off of him last year, and I'm not taking a victory lap on anybody's health ever. Like, that's nothing to joke about. I've, I've had back problems. I, I know what he's going through. It is not good. <laughs> I don't know how he gets back on the mound because there's days I can't even get out of bed. But um, given he plays better medicine than I do. But um, it's really, it's really weird seeing the, the passing of the torch with Kershaw to Bueller. Like Kershaw, he I think it was Kershaw the other day. Uh, if, if someone finds the the tweets on on Twitter, one of the beat writers basically just quoted everything Kershaw said. It was like a, an essay on how good Walker Bueller is. It was I amazing, it. Yeah. amazing stuff you had to say about him. And that's one thing with Kershaw. And I know San, uh, Don Drysdale or Sandy Kovacs, one of the two, said it last year in the playoffs on that Bueller start you mentioned. Um, there's a lot that this kid Bueller has that's more than just his pitch mix. Is mm-hmm. like there's a lot going on upstairs that makes him fearful, like like very like a very fearsome pitcher. So um, there's a lot to like about Bueller. Bueller could be one of those guys that this time next year we're talking about in that Garrett Cole range if everything projects properly, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But because like I agree with you, I think he's going 165 to 170 this year, and if they play it right, that'll be perfect. Because then next year he's ready to take that complete jump. Um, the one I like that you mentioned is Noah Syndergaard there. I had this discussion a while back with some somebody else, like the center guards, the Strasburgs. There, there's, there's a lot of negatives to them, and rightfully so, because they've missed good amounts of time every season. 
it's very frustrating when you take that pick. But where I'm at this year, and, and it goes, I keep re- referencing your charts on the ADP thing and other stuff are phenomenal because it really brings into perspective how few pitchers pitch 200 innings and how few do this, that, and the other. My question to you is a guy like Noah Syndergaard, yes, we might only get like 150 innings out of him. But 150 Noah Syndergaard innings are a million times better to me than like 180 from Felix Hernandez or somebody else that you're going to get like 40 picks later. Does that make sense to you? Would you rather kind of say, screw it, I'm not going to worry about the injury there? Yeah, no, but I'm banking on this year he's getting to that like, you know, 185, 200 range. Uh, to me, 150 where I'm taking him would be would be a disappointment. Uh, hopefully they're a great 150, but that would disappoint me. Like I said, two years ago, he had that, what was it, 184 innings. We were super excited about him. The last two years, he's only pitched 184 innings. So I'm expecting, even though last year, I think it was Eno at the uh, first pitch Arizona did a thing on yeah, on uh, uh, his, uh, excuse me, no in the guards command and lack of it. And one thing I watched last year, and it frustrated the hell out of me, you know, watching all these Met games, you know, in this, you know, when the thoughts that the Grom or Wheeler or uh, Syndergaard didn't make, well, Syndergaard would be ahead of these hitters so often, and then he would like throw a pitch too far in the meat of the plate, and it was just so frustrating. Like you got to get this guy to chase. You got to be, you know, wasting a pitch here, or at least making it look like it's hittable. And I think that's a, a big step forward. You know, he's, he had a, a tale of two halves last year. But, I mean, look, the talent's there. I don't think anybody can deny that. So he's still young. And, you know, one of these years it's going to click. And I have a feeling it's going to be this one. Yeah, uh, Nick Pollock wrote a great piece for Fangraphs last year about Noah Syndergaard. I don't want you to read it because I want you I want you to be able to sleep at night. But um, it was basically what you just said there. He broke down his pitch mixes, and, like, when he was ahead in the count, he's throwing tee shots. And it's just like, what are you, what are oh, you doing was, with this, with this stuff so you have? It was so frustrating. It really yeah. was. I, I was like, damn it, man. <laughs> like, it broke it down so much clearer, like, because I don't watch all the games like you do. I'm like, okay, well, this makes sense now because you're watching him going, okay, he's dominating, yet he still gave up four runs, and it's like only going five and a half, six innings. What just happened? But, uh Yeah. All right, let's get to the next wave of pitchers where this gets a little – you're starting to get into a little more dicey range, still very good arms, pretty dicey. And, my goodness, they have changed since the last time when I did this yesterday, so I'll go off the list here. <laughs> um, the first one's Patrick Corbin. He's the 15th off the board, uh, new deal in Washington. A lot of people are expecting the massive regression because career year, new ballpark, so on and so forth. Obvious, well, not obviously. I do agree that there should be some regression, but is it enough regression to scare you off of Patrick Corbin? No, where he's been going, look, you're going to make that decision. Where Corbin goes, pretty much the aces are gone. And it's, do I want Corbin here or am I going to play a little roulette with some uh, pitching in the next round? And look, say he regresses to a 350 ERA or so. If he has the innings and the strikeouts, uh, it's a good ballpark to pitch in. Uh, you, you know, so I, I'm still in on Corbin. I have him in that 16 range. I, I think, you know, these arms, I would take Paxton over. I, maybe I'm in the minority in that. I know a lot of people are running away from Paxton. Look, even if it's 160, God forbid it gets to 180. If he gets 180 this year, it, it's it's going to be you know it's going to be a windfall of riches. And you know, on the Yankees, I know it's not Safeco Field anymore, but you got to look at everything. Look at the home road splits. This is a guy that knows how to pitch. This is a guy that's got filthy stuff. 
He's going to be on one of the best teams in baseball. You're going to have uh, some horrible teams to play against in that division in Baltimore. Toronto shouldn't be outside of Vlad, you know, shouldn't be too good. Yeah, no, there's a lot of light there with Paxton, and he's the one that kind of he jumped to he jumped Flaherty and Tyon. So um, since yesterday, Paxton is definitely an intriguing one. I'm not scared of him in New York. I'm kind of I'm liking the value in my theory that we're getting here because to me, like a, a, a hundred eighty innings of Paxton, like you said, if we get that, he's up there in that center guard grouping above this. Like he he moves up there mm-hmm. for sure. Like he he was a Cy Young candidate until he until he gets hurt. It's like that's what he does every year. He strikes out more than ten per nine. His ERA and whips don't kill you most of the time. I uh, look at all the projections this year. He's got like a three and a half lower ERA by all the projection sites. Um, and one thing when people say they get worried about New York uh, in the Bronx there, I try to tell them the short porches in left are in right, not left. Mm-hmm. I know, I know the ball. It's critical. That's critical. And I know the ball still flies out at times, but most of the time, most lineups, I'm not a professional manager, are going to throw righties out against the lefty. Thus, the ball is most of the time going to left field. That's just common you know, baseball physics here. But um, that's something that I, people need to calm down because that was their big concern. I'm thinking, you know, I, I, you know, that some people might pop a couple out opposite field, but overall, it's not as big of a factor. So He's got some of the best skills. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's not scared of like, – People forget his no hitter was in Toronto, one of the best hitters ballparks in all of baseball. Given not great lineup, but still, the ball flies out of that yard to all parts. So um, he, he's just fine. Not too worried about that one. Uh, next up, two youngsters here. Very interesting. Jack Flaherty, Jamison Tyon, kind of going next to each other here. We already mentioned Tyon. Kind of a lot of talk about him. Flaherty's had a lot of talk too. Maybe not as much, but both super talented. Just more kind of question marks. Can they take that next step? What's your thoughts on those two? Uh, I go back and forth on them daily. Uh, both arms I want to own. If I can have a, as my SP2, I'm feeling really good. I think Chion's been more proven. We saw last year he got the he got the innings. We saw when he introduced the slider those last four months, he threw it over 20% of the time. And it was becoming a money pitch for him. So for me, it's more of – it's not even really a, a floor for Tyon, but I'm saying like – it's more like security, I think. You know, you want the, the floor of Tyon or the possible ceiling of Flaherty. And Flaherty has some issues, too. I mean, he's got to get that walk rate under control. So I, I think it's more of the personal preference. Uh, like I said, it goes. I go back and forth on it daily. I think they're both uh, young guys you want to own. And I would love to have either one as my uh, SP, too. Okay, so you're buying into the the improvements on both. I like that quite a bit. Yes. Uh, the last one here. Like I said, I don't think they're going to be pitching. I, but I'm not going into the season with an expectation that, you know, Tyon's beating last year's ERA or Flaherty is going to pitch to a, you know, a, a 320 ERA. If they're 340, 350, 360, that's, you know, they're getting strike. That's what pitching the innings. That's, you know, that's a hell of a pitcher. Would you be okay starting your pitching staff with Flaherty or Tyon? I wouldn't want to do it. If I did, then you're going to see me pound pitching for like the next three rounds. Okay. You know, I'm going to try and get, you know, Barrios next, you know, Wheeler. I mean, Wheeler, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll touch on. He's he's no sure thing. There's a lot to like, but, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to have to be a lot more aggressive on pitching than I planned on. All right. Right after these two, it's another young arm that's getting a little hype, but not quite like these previous two. 
He's the fourth arm in that Cleveland rotation, that a very, very good Cleveland rotation. Uh, Mike Clevenger showed a lot of good signs last year, taking that next step as well. How do you look at Clevenger, and how do you compare him to Flaherty and Tyon? I really like Clevenger. Uh, he made great strides last year. I I like him a lot. I just I don't think we're gonna you know you gotta bank you gotta bake in a pullback on on his numbers. I I don't see him. You know, it was just a perfect storm last year. I think he's still going to strike guys out. can still pitch innings. But I do think we're going to see the ERA come back, which is which is still a good pitcher. But, I mean, when people see a three ERA or something like that, and then it's a three, say it's a 370, they don't find that acceptable. Yeah, it's funny <laughs> how that works, huh? Very funny. Such a minute difference there. Like, I can't remember who broke it down. Like, that little minute difference is like one or two – Runs yeah. over. It's crazy. Yeah, you get blown up a, a game here or there, you know. Yeah, there's there's some, there's been some good tweets. There's a lot of good guys, obviously, but some of them. I think it was. I think uh, Colette did it the other day. They did. He did a deal for Oda Rizzi, and if you just take out like two starts, his numbers look really good, like really good. <laughs> so you kind of got to take yeah. a step I back mean, sometimes. Clevenger, I believe, is my SP twenty. So okay. I mean, I, I do like the guy. I, I just think he's gonna. I think he's going to scale back too. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I rarely put anybody below three. I yeah. don't like to do that. You know, Kershaw was the one exception, and maybe King Felix for a couple of years, but you know. Okay. Uh, the next two guys, big time standouts of their, their rotations. Some they still kind of are, depends on who you talk to. But uh, Steve Strasburg, Zach Granke going twentieth and twenty first off the board right now in NFBCs in about round four ish, little after round four, early round five. How do you look at these two? Because Strasburg's always the injury concern. Branky might get traded for crying out loud. There's a lot to think about with these two. Well, the thing I mean with Strasburg is I've like chased the dragon every year. It, those those indicators are just so good. I mean, year after year, the, the strikeouts are there, you know, compared to the innings pitched. That's just the problem. It seems to be something every summer. And last year was a neck injury. Uh, he came back. The fastball velocity was down. The one thing that helped, one benefit from that was the changeup was getting used even more. So I'm going to be monitoring him. I think I put him 19. I'm going to be monitoring him this spring. I want to see where his fastball velo is sitting right now. I, I'm probably, if I need the pitcher in that round, I'm going to go Strasburg. You know, I'll have to figure out, you know, I'll bank 150 or so innings and be willing to uh, fill in after that. But, look, the guy still is talented. My main concern is the feel, is the fastball, and uh, I'm encouraged that we're going to see more and more of the change. Yeah, it, it's very encouraging that he's <laughs> he's been so good even when he's been getting beat up at times with his injuries. So if we can get just like similar to Paxton, give me 170, 180 innings, and you're going to get some serious value here at uh, this point in the draft. He, like. In all honesty, if Strasburg gives you that 180 innings and you're stuck with him as your first pitcher, it's probably not the worst thing you can do. But yeah. it, you're, you're asking for a lot to work in your favor there too. And, I mean, as far as Granky goes, I find myself the last couple of seasons talking myself out of Granky. You know, yeah. Every year you hear the you hear the fastball velocities at 84 or some crazy number like that. And I mean, outside of that first season in Arizona, that's really the only stand on his resume in like the last, you know, half a dozen or so, seven years, you know, maybe even longer. So uh, the thing is, I, I just, 
I'm trying to I'm I think I'm moving this year and I think you can see my rankings. I'm going more with the Jose Barrios, the Castillos, the Wheelers, as opposed to the older guys in the Granky, the Bumgardner, and the prices. So I'm moving them up and I'm pushing them back a little. Uh, maybe it's I, I don't I don't, don't want to use that cliche, you know. Rather be out a year before. Yeah. I mean, it it was a very solid season, but you know, if the strikeouts start decreasing even more on a bad team, I I don't see the upside with it. I know he gives you the innings. If he got I mean, if he got traded to the Dodgers, I would change my tune tomorrow. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and that's the weird thing with him was you, you mentioned he had that one bad year at first. Last two in Arizona been fine over two hundred innings both times. ERA around 3-2, but those strikeout numbers keep dwindling down, and that definitely does have to cause for some concern. Um, let's talk about a couple of young arms. You mentioned Jose Barrios quite a bit. He's the 22nd pitcher off the board, about pick 71. Right behind him is Mr. Herman Marquez. The, um, <laughs> the kind of – you throw that name into a circle of fantasy experts and you might see a tornado. That's kind of how it goes right now. But what is it about Jose Barrios, and then we'll get to Marquez, that really has you going right now? I think he's been a talented arm that we've known for the last couple of years. We've we've seen the struggles. We we saw early last year the promise, and then you know that road. He kind of I think at the end it was a bit fatigued. We see with these young guys. I mean I, I think Severino wasn't just the tipping of pitches. That was one of the things. He 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 was fatigued. His slider didn't have the same bite in the in that second half, and. Uh, so with Barrios, like I said, I think he just he checks the boxes off. He has that 200 innings. He had about a 380-something ERA last year. The X-Trip lined up with it. Uh, I mean, he's still got to hone a couple of things and uh, and make some progress, you know, and you know, work on a thing or two here or there. But I, I think this kid's on the come. I want to be involved. And, you know, if he finished as a top-12 pitcher, pitched over 200 innings, 200 strikeouts, I mean, I'm not going to be shocked, and I, I'm that's why I'm moving these guys up a little more, and I'm going away towards the other guys. Is I, I think I think the future is now, and this is where this is where I want to live. And this is why I'm glad I have guys like yourself on here. He's going to be to make me look a little more at Jose Barrios. He's going to be 25 this year, so still super young. Um, I, I would not have been able to guess 192 innings last year. I was just kind of I get so frustrated with some of his starts, you'd forget it. He's still in there with a 3.84 ERA, which played with his FIP and his ex-FIP just fine. I think a couple things, if he just tweaks, you know, 1.17 homer per nine or 12.8% home run per fly ball, however you want to pick it, that's not ideal, obviously. If he can just kind of lower that to below one home run per nine, the amount of, you know, extra maybe strikeouts, fewer ERA, all the good stuff we want for fantasy, you're right. This guy, he's so close to 200 innings already, which is crazy. goes back to the beginning of only X amount of guys pitching 200 innings in the big leagues. This could be a big-time breakout year. You're on to something really big here, per usual, but I, I wouldn't have even have looked this deep into him. And, you know, the strikeout rate went up last year compared to the last the previous season. There is a lot to like here about Jose Barros. It's a very intriguing call there. Yeah, when you look at the road split, though, it gets, it gets a little scary. <laughs> so Yeah, which is weird for him. It sobers you up quick. It sobers you up quick when you look at that. <laughs> yeah, he's got to, and he's young, so hopefully it's just a matter of fixing a few mm-hmm. things. Uh, speaking of home road splits, let's talk to Ramon Marquez at Coors Field. Um, he made it work on both ends of the spectrum last year in the second half. We've seen all the amazing numbers from Herman Marquez, but we did this same song and dance with John Gray last year. We've done it with many pitchers and Coors. If you like him, tell me why he's different. If you don't like him, explain to me what other people are seeing. 
<laughs> I think I tweeted something out the other day where I don't own any Herman Marcus shares yet. I want to. I just can't pull the trigger or I haven't pulled the trigger. I'm not sure if I will. I, I wish his ADP was a little further back and say if he was my third. I don't want to draft a pitcher as my SP2 and have to say, you know what, I'm going to bench him a handful of times off the bat or something like that, knowing that, look, he's got a fantastic uh, open to the season. I know he's got the Marlins in there. I think the Giants are in there. Padres. He's got a great start, yeah. You know, after that first month, we're going to be looking at this guy, and he'll be like, see, I told you, I told you. But that course, I think Derek Cardi made the point, it's just so much better for hitting than any other park out there. And to have to go up against that, you know, half your starts, it, it's it's a tall task. So I love everything he did. I think the skills were phenomenal. It's just at that price, do I want to take on the fight against course? That, that's what you're really saying to yourself. And you're going to be seeing people saying, I was right, you were wrong, oh, yeah. all this. That's going to be coming. Like I said, wait till after April ends when they're like, this is the Cy Young because he had those, you know, four starts. And so, I look, I think this is a really talented kid. And I, I think it did all come to fruition. I just don't know. You know, I like him. I just wish I could get him, like, you know, around or two later. I guess that's yeah, and it doesn't really work in FBCs because there's no trades. But what I would do with Marquez, if you do draft him, enjoy the quick start, even when Colorado, because his first few starts might be good when it's cold there. This always happens when it warms up in, say, May and June in Colorado, then the explosions happen. Because every year it's like clockwork. And people say, oh, look at the humidor must be working or the runs or whatever. Same story every year. No, it's the cold and the snow. <laughs> exactly. People forget about that. They, they pointed out in Cleveland and Minnesota. They forget about it in Colorado. But um, it, it, that's where you go. and Get like six or seven good starts and then flip them. That's what you do if you want to play that game. But that's a game that might be tough to, 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 to finagle. But uh, other than that, it's tough because – you know, you're saying Marquez a couple of rounds later. Marquez and Kyle Freeland are two guys that everybody's written about, everyone's talked about. They put, they were great last year. They're Coors proof. They're from the system, so on and so forth. But every expert draft I've seen, even the Barf draft that I was in, they are dropping like flies. Like you are getting them so much lower than their ADP because nobody in those rooms want to touch them. Um, is there like you said a couple of rounds later? Do you have any similar thoughts to Kyle Freeland? Well, the thing with Freeland is, and he's a hometown kid. I believe he grew up in Colorado, or at least spent most of his life there. But he doesn't have the swing and miss that uh, Marquez has. And I and I do think that Freeland goes out there with a game plan, and he's trying to execute. And last year he did a phenomenal job at it. And, you know, he'll induce some soft contact and stuff like that. But the whole thing is the margin of error is so slim. And – I just don't want to. I I don't want to face it in that tight window. And at least with Freeland, he's at a price where if you do believe in him, I can see the argument. You know, you're not giving up a top five uh, draft pick for him. True. You know, he's going what one sixty two. One sixty two. So he's going after the tenth round. So you can get him after that. That's a, a thing where you can say, hey, if I believe in him, even if I'm wrong, it's not going to sink my team. So you can make that move. But as I mentioned before, there's that range. There's other guys there with, you know, some upside and stuff that could really pan out as well. So there's always a give and take. Uh, I mean, I like Marquez a hell of a lot more. And I really want to be in the Herman Marquez business. 
I'm just scared shit. I'm gonna be honest with you. Yeah, it, it would always be fun to. It would always be fun to be like, look at, I picked the right Coors guy finally because we've all been there throughout throughout time. If you played long enough, you've been to that. Like um, you buy in finally, and then it comes crashing down in front of you. Like Drogon comes through and just blows it all up. That's what happens. I mean, look if if, if we did a blind resume oh, and yeah. we, we 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 put the stats out on just paper, we didn't mention where he pitches. The dude would be even higher. And I, and I wouldn't be yeah, able to 15. argue that. Yeah. It's just, you know, history is tough to beat. It's very tough. It's undefeated most of the time. <laughs> um, let's look at a couple more here. This one is near and dear to my heart, but I believe a lot of the concerns along with it as well. Madison Bumgarner, he is now the 24th starting pitcher off the board. Talk about how, how life hits you fast. And he's still not that old yet, but uh, velocity dropping, lots of concerns there. Um, as a Giants fan, trying not to be biased, if anybody can figure out how to pitch with what they have, I do believe it's Mad Bum. Problem is, he might not be 24th starting pitcher worthy. How do you look at Mad Bum? I, I think you said it perfectly. If anybody can do it, it's uh, Bumgarner. I, I think he's aware. If we're all aware, I think Madison Bumgarner is aware exactly. of what he needs to do. You know, this guy is, you know, what, 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 watching him in the postseason has just been like, you know, it's it's been amazing. I'm, you know, I don't got to tell you. Yeah, it's been nice. But <laughs> I had him. I think back in November when I did like my first initial rankings, I had him twenty two. Okay. Now I have him in the in more of the late twenties. I don't know if it's like twenty eight, twenty nine, somewhere around there. I, I'm I'm thinking. I don't. I'm not buying the full collapse. I don't think he's collapsing. I think he's a three, not a two. Uh, I think he figures it out. I think being in that ballpark still helps him. Mm-hmm. If he does get traded, say he ended up in like uh, Milwaukee or something, just to give a you know yeah. good hitters ballpark that could hurt him. Uh, but I think he's somebody that will figure it out. He'll make that adjustment. This is a prideful guy. This is a guy I want fighting on my side. So I don't think he's going full collapse here. I have to push him down a little. But he's still in my top 30. Yeah, and to echo your sentiments about if we know Bumgarner knows, he hasn't flat out said it, but every time he gets interviewed so far this spring, he is one pissed off big man. Like really yeah. angry. Like you can hear it in his interviews. He is he knows that people are basically saying he's done and he's taking that to heart, it looks like. Does Which, that mean it's gonna matter? No, but it does help a ton. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I definitely want to have I want to see that attitude. Look, we, we I remember Adam Wainwright going on serious and saying he was gonna be great and that didn't happen. But I think Bumgarner is nowhere near uh, where Wainwright was. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm out of total agreement. He'll figure it out. When it's not, I don't think it's going to be like, you know, Madison Bumgarner of old. But I think this is, could still be a hell of an effective pitcher. I think, you know, barring another one of these crazy injuries, yeah. he's going to give you 200 innings. So if he gives you 200 innings with a 375, a 380 ERA, and say, you know, H. Eight, over eight strikeouts per nine. That's you know that's a good pitcher, really <laughs> you know, especially good. in a fifteen team league. You know that's a good pitcher. Yeah, with so many guys being down, I'm going in a range of sixty five to one hundred two. You get closer <laughs> to that one hundred two side, then you start getting some love out of it. So yep. uh, no problem there at all. The last guy here, pick twenty five or the twenty fifth uh, starting pitcher off the board, pick eighty four. Mike Fultonevich. Um, this is a guy that, as a DFS player like myself, we used to pick on religiously. Last year, he shut a lot of people up. He actually pitched really, really well. Um, do we continue to think he takes that next step this year? 
Well, see, the difference last year, I had a lot of faulty shares because he was an emerging market. And, you know, he was somebody to speculate on. The price was right. You know, it was pretty cheap. Now you're paying, you know, you're you're paying a high dollar. And I'm walking away from faulty. Uh, you know, I've been pretty adamant about that. I'm, I'm a bit concerned about the Braves' current pitching staff as constituted. Look, they have a, a wealth of young arms and a talent. I think Fulty's talented, too. But I think he's going to regress, and the price, based upon how much pullback he's going to have, I'm I'm out. And is you know I still think he's got to be a top thirty arm, but I'm not going to. He's not going to end up on my team. And you know, just looking at the peripherals and stuff, and and, and everything, you know, the the slide piece was just you know he he rode that to success last year. And he's got a couple other pitches. If they can hit, I think it's still going to take some time. And even if this year isn't his year, I don't think he's done. I think, you know, once he gets, you know, something else to work with that slide piece as a secondary pitch, then, you know, the, the league is in a lot of trouble. I just don't see it happening uh, right now. I, I think, you know, I, I think there is going to be the pullback. Yeah, I'm with you there. It's hard for me to buy in on him. I know it sounds cliche because we're buying in on like Tyon and those other guys, but there's just something different in what you, you break down with the pitch mix, the quality of the pitches, so on and so forth. Um, you know, after Fulty, we won't go too deep into these, but just some names that pop out. You got Wheeler, Mikolas, David Price, Luis Castillo are the next kind of four that go off the board there. There's a lot to like there. I know you mentioned Wheeler a few times. It's kind of why I wanted to ask this question. How do you look at that grouping of four? Because I pretty much would take almost all of those over Fultonevich, but that's just me. I, I have uh, Wheeler and Castillo. I think 21 is Berrios, 22 is Castillo, and 23 is Wheeler. Look, I've been – up until last year, I was finally out. Last year, I was like, you know what? I'm finally out on Zach Wheeler. I think he's going to be one of those multi-inning – dominant relief pitchers. I think that's where he can really be successful. And then what was it was around May 22nd or the first week of June, uh, he was just dominant. I mean, he was going seven innings to start. Uh, I think in, you know, his le- last 11 uh, starts, he let up like two runs or less or eight, or eight of those 11, something crazy like that. I mean, he was just everything. The fastball was working, the slider, uh, the split finger, I think he threw just under 10%. And if he can get that to be a weapon, which he's going to need. And we saw the control games, and that's imperative. They have to stick. Because that's been his problem in the past. Uh, I mean, staying healthy has been another problem as well. But, look, there's a lot to like. And he's not a sure thing. You know, he's not. I have him pretty high. He's not a sure thing, but there's a lot to like. Uh, the Mets, you know, that big three could really do something if they could ever stay healthy for a full season. So, yeah, I, I definitely want to be involved in, in Wheeler. What's his current ADP for the month of February? You have it up there? Uh, 86.85. Yeah, he's he's moving, he's further, moving yeah. further up. And that's what I, when I did my starting preview uh, a couple of weeks back. I put, you know, I'm currently willing to pay his price. But as – as we get closer and closer to March, I might I may have to reassess as it may get too expensive at some point. But as of now, you know, I'm still in because I'm just looking at the landscape after that. I mean, it, it gets sketchy pretty quick. quick. So I think in those first four rounds, you really want to try and get, 
you know, two hit, uh, two uh, starting pitchers. I know there's a lot of good hitting, but you know, you you need to have pitching stats as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one, I feel like I'm like his agent or his representative, Louis Castillo. <laughs> and look, That's I like him. Fair. Yeah, I mean, I was in on him last year. The first half, I've said it before, was total dog shit. But he doesn't get enough credit for the second half. The second half was pretty damn good. I mean, he was basically atop the leaderboard on, you know, qualified starting pitchers in that second half, you know, swinging strike percentage, uh, ERA, XFIP, um, his strike percentage, walk percentage, you know, we're around top 15 in the league. You know, he did a lot of good things. And one of the things I, I put in the preview was, you know, he cut back. The, look, we all know the fastball's a problem. And there's plenty of pitches with a bad fastball, but they got two secondary pitchers. In my preview, I kind of pound the pitchers that I like with the uh, slider curveball. His change is his pitch. And, you know, he threw that and the slider 10% more in the second half and the fastball 10% less. He also got maybe like two miles. He got an uptick on the fastball. I don't know the exact, but somewhere in that two-mile range. And we saw a different pitcher. And another thing, I, I, I preach this a lot. I like pitchers that go through the experience. One of the reasons I'm more confident, too, this year is he failed. He failed miserably last year. Big time. You know, and he knew going in there. He was, he was a highly touted guy and all this. And he pretty much got his ass kicked the whole first half. And he made adjustments. And he still needs to make adjustments. He's not a finished product. But, you know, this is a kid whose uh, fastball, uh, what was it? I think in the second half was third with Jacob DeGrom for the season, was tied for six with Blake Snell. It's got the velo. Look, if you throw a straight fastball, you're going to get hit and yeah. stuff like that. He's, that's, it's, it's still not finished. But at least he's got like a 97-mile fastball he can work with. And he's got secondary stuff. So if that can be somehow fixed and somehow managed, then I forget their new pitching coach they got. Uh, I like him in Cincinnati. So there's a lot, a, a lot of hope. And you know, you got to remember, as bad as that first half was, that second half was really, really good. He really doesn't good. get enough credit. Which a lot of people moved on, especially say in twelve team leagues, you cut them, and then you know you, you didn't get to experience that second half. I mean, he helped me in, in the leagues I had him. You know, he was a critical piece. I needed him to turn around in the second half. And, you know, he got me to a couple championships because he turned it around. You know, it's a long season. That's why I always preach don't cut talented players. If if, 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 if there's any way you can hold them on your roster, if you got to bench him, that's why he's a bench. Yep. You know, so, I mean, I, I still like the kid. And for all those reasons, I just gave uh, – uh, the funny thing is, at home he pitched really good last year. On the road, he did not pitch well. His road the, numbers, Jose Barrios syndrome too. Yeah, crazy. His road, another young guy with, with that same kind of thing. So, uh, like I said, I'm more apt to take a chance on him than some of these other guys. And I think Cincinnati. Look, the the, the Reds had to make these moves. I mean, some of the pitchers they got were like, yeah, you know, who cares. But, you know, the, the attendance was so down in Cincinnati. It's horrible. You know, they haven't won, whatever, 70 games in the last couple of seasons. And that's been, you know, one of the strongholds of baseball. So yep. I, I get what they're trying to do there. They're trying to win. I love the I love the Puig trade and stuff like that. 
Yeah, they're going to be much more competitive. I, I like it a lot. Uh, there's a lot to like in that lineup, especially a Joey Votto bounce back season. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it's interesting. I on that. Yeah, definitely. Like the value on him, my God. We talked about some of these pitchers. He's going so late, it's ridiculous. But, um, you know, Luis Castillo, Jose Barrios, maybe it's, you know, something with these kids, you know, comfort of sleeping in your own bed at home and going on the road, maybe getting into trouble or staying in a hotel. Or There's a lot of factors. You forget how young they still are and mm-hmm. the life changes because they're coming. They're not coming from normal lifestyles. They're coming from, you know, uh, Latin American countries and other things. It's a little different, different way of life. So um, it comes at you fast. We saw how Arolis Chapman and Puig were when they were younger, and some have grown up, some haven't. But um, their game got better as they got older. So Yeah, but maturity is a, a big thing. And real quick, yeah. like, like with Clevenger, I don't want people to think I don't like Clevenger. I, I just – adverse to a lot of other people, I'm more conservative. I'd rather look at projections and say, look, you know, I don't think a 370 or 360, if everything else is there, is bad. And, you know, a, a 320 is maybe the 95 percentile. You know what I'm saying? I'm not looking at 95 percentile expectations. So I just hope people think I don't like Mike Leverage because I do like him. You know, I just come at it at, at, with a different, maybe uh, maybe a more harsher look where I'm more realistic. <laughs> I, at least that's what I try to be. Well, when it comes to a guy like Clevenger, it's I know he's really, really good, and he could be a lot better than this next name I'll mention. But he's at like pick six, fifty-six to sixty, and I know they're not going to be you know identical. But a pick two eighteen, you get Joe Musgrove, who I can see a lot of Mike Clevenger in. So I'm not going to say they're going to be the same pitcher, but that many picks apart, what you could do. Yeah, but see, see, I look at that differently. Like I, I want to bank, uh, I want to bank on Mike Clevenger because he's done it. And I still want to be involved in in a, in a Joe Musgrove. That's like somebody we had a, a thing on Twitter a couple of weeks ago where somebody put out like the batch projections for Trey Turner and Sterling Marte, and they were like very similar. They were, like, well, why wouldn't you just wait and get Sterling Marte? Number one, you don't know if you get Sterling Marte. Yep. You know, bank Trey Turner's stats, and money. look, if you still want to, you can get a Sterling Marte, whatever. But you don't know he's going to be there. And always here. Well, I'm going to pass on this guy. Was I can get this guy two rounds later? What other people like that guy too, and somebody might like him a whole round ahead of you. Yep. So you know, you have that plan. I, I, I'm fine with getting guys, and I tweeted out yesterday about. Look, I like Anthony Rondon, but if there's another guy that has his skill set, and I can't get Anthony Rondon, I have a list. And you know, doesn't even have to be a third baseman. Yep. You know, what are these numbers? What is 290, 25 homers? You know, 100 RBIs. Who else can provide me these? And that's what we really got to be looking at. Yeah, and that's why, like you said, like with the starting pitching, to me, you really want to get two arms in that top 20, two arms if you can, and maybe even the top, you know, 16 or however you have it ranked 18, you know, but definitely that top 20. And like I said, if, you know, that's the more beneficial because that allows you to take more shots on the arms because we know, you know, things are going to happen. And you know what I'm saying? And yeah. you're, you're fine taking a tail of glass now, you know, later on in your rotation because she doesn't have to hit for you. Well, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, two quick questions for you. I'll wrap this up. First off, when you're – I think I've asked you on previous podcasts, but for those that might not have listened, when you're evaluating your pitchers and you're looking at different stats and everything, what are like the two or three top – stats you're looking at. We know there's X-FIP. There's all kinds of different ones. What do you look at for evaluating talent? 
Uh, I mean, the the number one thing everybody does, or if, if you don't do it, you should start with is, you know, strikeouts minus walk percentage. That should be the initial. I'm an XFIP guy. I don't really don't even look at FIP, I'll be honest with you. You know, I like XFIP. Uh, DR, DRA is another one I like. I'll even look at Sierra. But as far as the other stuff, you know, to me, first pitch strike is extremely imperative. It, it just yeah. sets you up so much better as a pitcher, I mean, even for a hitter. If the hitter's ahead in the count, two and zero, as opposed to zero and two, there's, you know, it, there's a world of difference there. So first pitch strike, uh, the swinging strike percentage, and I think chase rate is really important. And we saw guys like last year we were waiting on, like a Trevor Bauer. Look at the chase rate jump in him. Uh, I believe Wheeler had it too. But, you know, you, you'll see guys who's like, wow, they really – because they were missing that – you know, not that they didn't have the stuff, but, you know, Bauer's swing and strike percentage up in, before last year was was never anything great. It was always like that 9 10% range. And then when he got the people to chase, you see the jump. You, you see what happens. So, I mean, those are things I really uh, key on. You know, what I want uh, a ground ball pitcher over a fly ball pitcher – Yes, but not in every not in every aspect. You know, there are fly ball pitchers that are hell, you know, very good. You know, I can just throw out like uh, Scherzer, Verlander types, and stuff like that. So you know, that's not necessarily, but you do want to see the ground ball. Another reason why, like a Walker Bueller, him and like Aaron Nola, guys in the second half. You know, that thirty percent strikeout rate and the fifty percent ground ball. That's a hell of a stat, and it's something you want to look at. And that's the other thing with Bueller is look at Bueller. Post also break as well because then you, if you just look at the season, you see that eleven percent swing and strike rate. You look at from post All Star break, he's twelve and a half. You see that jump. You see it starting to come for him, and he, he he's still a baby as far as his MLB experience. All right, okay. A couple. Well, it's one listener with two questions. Yancey Eden, you know him very well. Oh, uh, Yancey, Yancey's awesome. Yeah, he came with some fun ones and a, and a not so fun one or a serious one, I should say. First off, the fun one. Have you ever eaten a meal and not posted it on Twitter? Yeah, sometimes I'm just too hungry and I just can't wait. <laughs> usually I'll try usually what I'll do is I'll take the picture before I eat. Yeah. And then a, post it later. But <laughs> yeah, you are you are a food connoisseur, right? Um, brother from another mother right there. Um, also he wants to know your general strategy involving picking on the turn in fifteen teamers. You kind of talked about it a little bit. He said it's a weird spot because it feels too early for Verlander, Cole, Kluber. But the starting pitchers that make it back aren't number ones. You kind of hit on it. Maybe clarify that well, real yeah, quick. I'll for clarify you. it, uh, especially there's a difference in the twelve and the fifteen. In the twelve, you know, I'm fine with it. You, you don't have to. In the twelve, I don't think you have to pull up a pitcher. In the fifteen, it's basically what is your game plan going to be? Are you going to go four straight hitters? If you if you don't, you got to ask yourself. If I don't take a pitcher at fifteen. At fifteen, sixteen, am I going to go four hitters if all the pitchers that I want are gone? So that's something you have to go into the, before the draft, not at fifteen and be like, "Oh my god, what am I going to do here?" So if you look at it that way and say, "Okay, my first four are going to be hitters; these are the pitchers I'm targeting, and I'm going to pound three or four of them." After that, that's one strategy. The other strategy is like what we saw today, and I, I mentioned, with like James Anderson did. If you believe. Say Garrett Cole's your number four, or Aaron Nola, or Justin Verlander. Don't be afraid to pull that guy up because you're not going to get him. You're picking at the turn, so you have to be aggressive. You need to pull certain guys up, you know, around. 
if whatever thread the three four turn, say uh, you just love Puig, you have to have Puig, and he's going in the fifth round, and you really want him on your team. I'm just making it for instance. You got to pull him up there, and you know, go into it seeing what are my options most likely. It's not guaranteed that that's going to happen. Like, where am I going to get a closer? Like, if if am, am I waiting to the tenth round? Am I looking at the uh, Jose Alvarados, the Le- Leclercs, who are very talented arms? But you know, these are questions that you have to ask yourself, map out before the draft, because that's why people panic. You patted because you didn't have a plan. Your guy went like, oh, shit, what am I going to do here? Or no, should I pull this guy up? But I really want him. You know, when you start like that, it's, you know, you got a minute to pick and stuff. There's not enough time. It's such a great point. They're planning it out because, you know, mock drafts are great. You can do a lot of things to kind of see where things flow. ADP helps with that. But I know yourself and many others, and Ryan Bloomfield wrote a great article on it for his labor draft. He literally, he knew his pick, I believe it was like six in the draft. He literally wrote down for each round like four players he was targeting so he could pivot. Like you're saying, he knew if something got taken, he already had his game plan because there's only so much time on that clock. And if you're panicking, you're screwed. You're going to make a bad pick most of the time because you just panic and pick one. You're going to force yourself into an error. It's just just human nature. You get excited. You're excited for the draft number one. I don't care if it's a a free draft or a $5,000 draft. You're excited number one. You're, You're there for a reason. You know, you're excited especially if it's live or if it's on the radio, you're even more nervous. And if you start panicking, it's just going to screw your whole thing. And then you be, then if you look back and say, oh, my God, I can't remember I made that pick. And now you're trying to make up or compensate, and you're just losing it. You're losing your train of thought. You're losing, you know, your advantage, in my opinion. Totally agree. One last question, and we will be gone. Since we are Game of Thrones fans, and he will be back on in, what, June, I guess it would be, when it's all wrapped up. Who do you think sits on the Iron Throne? I've said it when I started reading the books years ago. Uh, I've always thought it would be Genry and Arya marry. They, I think it's too obvious too with uh, Daenerys and that. And Gen- I think it's Genry and Arya that sit on the Iron Throne together. We get the Baratheon stock, you know, families reunite f- f- this time for good. That'd be interesting. That's a good one. I like that. Well, uh, I have not read the books. I just watched the show. And what's yours? Uh, mine, well, the, the interesting one I thought is how weird or interesting would it be if it's Danny and Snow's kid. Um, that That's that's an angle because last we saw them. But um, I, I still think for some reason I think it might be too easy, but I think it's Bran. I think there's something with Bran that just he, he has like all that the mental stuff he's got going on and all that, but that, that's where I'm at right now is Brand. I would love to see Arya there, though. I think she'd be a phenomenal ruler. Yeah, she, her, her and the Hound in the book were my two favorite characters. Yeah, like Arya is just – how do you not – like when she comes on the screen, like I smile. Like there's like there's an interest when she comes on there. It's just so entertaining and so awesome. And what she's become to this point compared to where she was, it's it's scary, but it's really, really cool. The only disappointing cast casting on that series to me was at least from taking it from the book angle – was the casting of Theory and Greyjoy's sister. I was so disappointed. Oh, In yeah. the book, she is like this warrior and, you know, you think of this fierce kind of thing. I think the girl they had, it, I don't know, I was just looking like a Xena type of... <laughs> yeah, like this one, this one she tried to play She tried to play hard, but she was more of a, like a friendly sister than a badass, basically. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Like, you could almost get seriously, but maybe would have done it better than her. <laughs> yeah. 
But uh, all right, man, I've kept you long enough. I appreciate it. We no, will no definitely, we'll this definitely is again. This is always a pleasure. Something I'm always looking forward to. Uh, hopefully, what is we only get six episodes, right? Game of Thrones. Okay, maybe it is six. So then it starts in April. Then you'll be back on in May. We will have you on right. in May. So that'll be That's, beautiful. At um, least, at least, the, at least the uh, at least the prequel got greenlit. So. Beautiful. That that's good. So we will still have some Game of Thrones in our lives. <laughs> yes, that's always good. But everybody, go check him out on Twitter at CTM Baseball. Matt Modica, great follow, great guy, and now has his awesome work over at The Athletic doing his fantasy sports work there. Again, my friend, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode one forty six. Catch you guys later. Yeah.